So we are back for another season of the Religion of Human Nature podcast. I'm your host, Rabbi Jeremy Fine, and I have two amazing guests, which I always say in every episode, and then I explain why these are amazing guests. These two people I know uh, from, from the history of my life. I want to first introduce Dan Greger, a writer and director in Hollywood from things like uh, How I Met Your Mother, and as I said a little earlier, The Comedians, a show that I loved very much. Um, and Dan and I went to Israel together many, many moons ago. It seems literally like forever ago. Dan, how are you today? I'm good. I'm good. I, I couldn't find my car keys, so I, I'm just doing this in my house, um, and I feel pretty lost. Well, you're doing a great job so far, so wonderful. Thanks. And my freshman year college roommate, whose book I found uh, at Barnes & Noble's and basically jumped out of my seat, Neil Patel. How are you, Neil? I'm good. I'm good. I'm alive. You're alive. So they're both in California. Uh, I'm recording today from Chicago. And we're going to just jump into the idea of deflecting with humor. And these are two really great guests to talk about this, writers and people dealing with, you know, uh, ways to make things a little lighter in our lives. So Dan, the first, the first question is to you. You've written some amazing, for some amazing show. Where does your humor emanate from? Um... Um, I mean, personally, I feel like my humor has evolved to primarily come from a place of, of, um, of examining, uh, examining weakness and, uh, failure and, um, and, uh, and like, and, you know, anything that, anything that is sort of the, the cracks in, in the facade of, of a person's, um, personality or how they present, um, you know, I think, um, I think that it's, you know, it can be used in any way, sort of like empathetically or, or, um, or satirically, but I, but I find, I find I'm, I, I'm more and more gravitating towards writing about, um, even writing about bad people who I'm still empathetic towards, um, you know, that, that, and that's where the comedy comes from is that like, even, even when they have, uh, weaknesses and failings it's still from a place of of uh of something that you know we can all sort of identify the why of it um and so that's that to me is sort of i think what what i'm finding more and more is is the comedy that i enjoy making um but I, but there's a marketplace of all sorts of types of comedy that i enjoy consuming that you know is doesn't necessarily fall under that rubric fair enough uh yeah i mean we all we all should be examining weaknesses and also smiling about them because otherwise we don't grow as human beings and to see them reflected on television, uh, I think helps a lot of us. I, I, I never, I, it's always like the famous thing is when you're with your spouse and you look over when something on TV is exactly what they would do and you start laughing and she looks back at you mm -hmm. and she says, what? And I'm like, nothing, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, uh, it's, uh, there's something I think that the the type of comedy that I most enjoy making and watching is when is the one that also feels like someone's punching me in the stomach. Um, we're just like, oh, I recognize that too well. That emotion, that event, that moment. It's so painfully real. And I want to both like go like lie down in a ditch over it and I'll be laughing for the next like year. Bill, that was a lot of like how I met your mother and crazy ex-girlfriend where they, um, you know, touched on these points where we all sort of felt a part of that story. Yeah. I mean, that was, uh, when I got hired at how my mother, that was, that was definitely, um, 
I was I was uh, the the young kid who was living in New York, still kind of living like a single life, and so I, I very actively got hired there because all of them had sort of aged out of those stories in their lives, um, and so they had they sort of used up their their fill of like New York dating and 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 failure stories basically, and um, and so I was uh, sort of the a guy they brought in at that point, like midway through the series, to sort of refurbish their take on on uh, New York dating failures. I had I actually had a show at UCB at the time, which is sort of what got me hired for this, um, called, um, uh, well, originally it was called Banging My Dick Against a Wall, um, which is what I felt like my dating life was. <laughs> um, and uh, and then for t- when we got picked up for to IFC as a pilot, and it was called Idiots Dating, which is a nicer name. Yeah. <laughs> um, and... Um, And, uh, but yeah, so that was, it was like, I was just so deeply living, living the, the, uh, the failed dating life, um, that, uh, that I was, that those stories of it were, were funny and, and accurate and real to examine for how your mother. Um, yeah. Um, that's right. That's right. All right. Neil, so your book was witty and great to share ideas of culture. I, I absolutely loved it. As your first attempt, how hard was it for you to develop these stories in a lighthearted way that all readers, not just ones from a specific culture that didn't know about it, could could relate to? Like someone for me, like these were stories yeah. I didn't know, but certainly related to it. Yeah, I think um, actually what's interesting is I had the opposite challenge. Like I wanted to be way more lighthearted than what was like required. And I think uh, oftentimes I, my editor would tell me to tone down the humor because it was a little bit too much. And I think I kind of internalized, like humor for me was like a defense mechanism. And it was the only way I knew how to um, talk about my culture and my background. You know, I grew up in the eighties and nineties where nobody knew what, was an, what an Indian was, you know? And, uh, and on top of that, I'm like five foot three and a half, five foot, five foot five on my dating profile, but <laughs> five foot, <laughs> But you got to add that extra inch and a half, um, you know, and gay. So that wasn't easy walking down the halls. And I kind of, I don't know, I, I, I learned from a young age that if I just make fun of myself and my background and the culture in a way that like, let's say like white kids find hilarious, well, then that's kind of my shield through life. And so I actually had the opposite problem when I was writing this because it was supposed to be serious literary fiction. I want it to be. So sometimes, you know, when you're writing literary fiction, you're, the humor, it's, it's appreciated, but it needs to be intentional and it needs to kind of tell a story. Um, and so it actually wasn't hard. I mean, I think, I, I think when you're so different from everyone around you, you kind of become a set of eyes for them and you have a, you're constantly observing them. And I think I internalize a lot of what I saw um, other people doing, straight people, white people, what have you. So tall yeah, people. tall people, yes, <laughs> tall people at the bar when they want to like push you out of the way. <laughs> if you can imagine for those listening or, or watching, uh, Neil and I would walk around campus together. Neil oh, God, was always yeah. dressed perfectly. I was always in pajamas. I'm six foot three Jewish kid, you know, five foot three Indian. And we, he would be like, are you guys friends? We're like, yeah, we love yeah. you. Like, we're like an odd couple, right? I know. <laughs> That should have been a movie. <laughs> well, we got writers on this call, on this call, so we. All right, I'll start cracking on this. Guys. Yeah, what are we calling this? Uh, big Jew, 
small day. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> actually, that's a great title. There you go. <laughs> so let's let's stay on the topic. Uh, so you know, uh, Jerry Seinfeld um, said once on his show that um, comedians and cars uh, getting coffee that like humor has to come from like some sort some place of suffering or or a hardship when you're younger, and then and also like Jewish comedy for I'm I don't we don't really talk so much about religion on this on the show, but the idea that like, you know, Jews often found their way into comedy because of what they were feeling with society. So how does religion and culture play a role in comedy for both of you? And I don't mean religious like observance, but like your background and where you guys are from. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, for, for me, um, I mean, I think, I think it's pretty, uh, to, to your exact point, it's pretty elemental. Obviously re religion's not the point. Um, but otherness is um, the 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 feeling of being an outsider who has the ability to observe. I mean, literally exactly what you're just saying, Neil, which is the ability to observe others with with a critical distance is, I think, the the primary muscle in creating comedy. Um, and 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 so being from a religious minority, being from a racial minority, um, being from a, a sexual minority, like all of those things are they don't make you funny but they are almost like um a required first step to even be able to like see why things are funny um or off or weird because again like funny is just sort of tragedy exploded through time or like heightening it um and so so it takes it just takes i do think it takes a a, a lot of otherness to really get uh to feel comedic in a lot of ways. Um, I, but then, you know, but then at the same time, I mean, what, what that's my belief and that's the way I've lived, lived my life. And um, as, you know, also like a, you know, a, a minority in most of the world that I live in. And um, uh, that, that it, it always felt very elemental to how comedy came about in my brain. But then you look at like the fucking Harvard Lampoon and you're like, oh, those guys are the most successful comedy writers in the world. And they're all the most, you know, white bread, like <laughs> Protestant as powered. I mean, they're they're They might as well be the like the skull and bones, like Harvard frat, but like with a beanie on their head. Like it's the same thing. Um, so, you know, I, the, the, my theory has holes is what I'm saying. That's fair. Neil? Yeah. No, I mean, I feel the same way about otherness. Um, and for me, uh, I realized that if I could make, I could connect with people by making them laugh. And yes, people saw me as different, but if I kind of acknowledge that, kind of acknowledging the elephant in the room, well, then it makes people feel a little bit more comfortable. And I think oftentimes we use humor as a way of um, uh, addressing something that's uncomfortable in a, in a lighthearted way. So I was that kid who used to always like do the Indian accent to like make, make all my friends laugh. And I feel bad now because I think I really did my parents a disservice because I used to imitate my parents, but I would lay it on really thick, like Apu from Simpsons. And they don't talk like that. And I'm just like, if they knew I was doing that, they would be so offended. But <laughs> it made, you know, it made everyone in the class laugh. And for that period of time, I felt like I was being seen and so that's kind of how I was for the, and it's weird because now we're experiencing this cultural shift where it's all about owning your otherness and being proud of where you came from. 
And it's weird because I, I was that kid who was just making fun of it the whole time. Can I, Neil, can I ask you a question? Because I have some, some, I have several Filipino friends who are comedians and they, and they are, they basically, they really fall in very opposite sides of this where like, you know, they love making fun of their parents. They love making fun of like the culture they come from. Mm -hmm. um, and part of that is doing, doing the, the voice of the, of the world they're from, of the, of the immigrant experience they're from. I know that I, I'm, my father's Israeli. Like I make fun of his accent all the time and make fun of Israelis and make fun of Jews. And, um, and, and, but then I have another Filipino comedian friend who's like, thinks it's like, it's gross, like to, yeah. to like, to make fun of, make fun of, you know, people's voices, their, their, whatever, their, their, yeah. their immigrant differences. Um, and I guess I'm just, cause again, like, I'm just curious, like where you feel that line is between like a, a loving, a loving send up within an in group versus something that's like hurtful. Yeah. I mean, I've heard people say the same thing. Like there are people who feel like, oh, well, you're just pandering to white expectations of you and, you know, reinforcing stereotypes. But I sometimes, I feel like that if that's the way in, you know, and then you can open yourself up to talk about other things, mm -hmm. I think it's okay. Because I mean, at the end of the day, an Indian accent is funny. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's it, not it's the just... sexiest accent in the world, trust me. Like, <laughs> it's not a panty dropper, so. <laughs> I mean, I'm okay making fun of it. So I, I think if that's the only thing people want to see from you, then that right. becomes a toxic cycle. But I think if it's a if it's a way in, then you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. No, it was a great segue to to what I want to talk about next. I actually saw it this morning. Uh, Sarah Silverman was uh, apologizing to Paris Hilton for like uh, two. Th I think that's in. That's my in-laws. I apologize. It will be edited out of the podcast, not out of YouTube. <laughs> so so um, Sarah Silberman was uh, apologizing to Paris Hilton for jokes she made in 2007. Um, and Sarah Silberman has been on every roast. I mean, she's really gone out. I, I don't mean, and I don't think it's necessarily inappropriate. I think when you sign up to go to a roast, you're there to roast. I mean, you were there to specifically to yeah. people. But she, so she, she was apologizing to her. Do, do you feel that um, humor is being sort of under attack um, as a way to sort of bring out thoughts and feelings. I mean, you both are in California. You both are writers. Um, are you getting pushback on stereotypical jokes, whether whether it's your own cultures or others, um, or is that just sort of something where that you know Joe Schmo is feeling? Hmm. Would you like me to go? Would you like to go? You can go first. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, um, it's a difficult question to answer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, look, I, I want to first say, like, the really, really important um, caveat that, like, that every generation of people is angry and pissed at the younger generation of people for taking their culture. So uh, that that's, that's like, a, ad infinitum, going back throughout history, Every group of people is upset that they're no longer the cool people coming up with culture. So, mm -hmm. so that that's like the most important thing to say is that like most most of people complaining, like a Jerry Seinfeld or someone complaining that like these kids aren't funny anymore. They don't, they don't like humor. Well, it's like well they don't like your humor, you old fuck. And so like 
and so it's just to say that like I might like Jerry Seinfeld still plenty, but that doesn't mean that he has a guaranteed place at the top of the comedy hierarchy for life or for forever. Um, so th that that's important to say. Um, and I would also say, I think that like of a, a large majority of the jokes that people are um, that like aren't like a PC anymore, whatever you want to use for it were not not offensive, not offensive, whatever. They were bad. They were bad jokes. They were punching down at people who didn't really have any reason to be punched at. Um, they were hacky. They weren't insightful. They were not clever. You know, they're they're as a as a I'm also a comedian, someone who came up through comedy clubs. And so, like, you know, people were doing people were doing rape jokes for for a decade. Right. Like and rape jokes were not just a normal part of of like a, a comedy act, but they were they were almost like a given. Like you you couldn't go to a comedy show without hearing the word rape a dozen times, and and so you know it, it's important to like understand that within the context, even of the context of comedians, that shit was hacky. It was not. It wasn't clever. It wasn't smart. So like. If people are are offended by it, they might be offended, but but they're also reacting to the fact that you're not saying anything worth saying. And so, you know, it, it I, I, as someone who creates content and art, I, I often get angry at um, the way that an, an audience or a reviewer or a critic, and especially everyone's a critic now, might conflate the reaction they have to something with the with the point of view view of the person who made it and so you know it sometimes when a, a bad joke comes out it's just a bad joke it's not that the person is is a bad person um you know that's part of the creation process is to like try and fail um but that doesn't mean that like the jokes were any good like you know that doesn't mean that like you're you're some you know, righteous warrior who, who is like, oh, this stuff was fucking gold, but you don't appreciate it. It's like, no, it was probably shit too. Um, I can curse on this podcast, right? Yeah, I mean, just, <laughs> my kid listen. She's a kindergarten. I realized I realize After I'm you like, just dropped a bunch of extras. I, I was like, I was like, I'm just fucking railing on. I'm just gonna drop every curse word I know. Um, and then <laughs> you're like, my in laws are in the other room. Um, uh, so. Uh, but anyway, so those are those are like my two mega caveats to say that like this is this is not nearly nearly the problem that it maybe seems to some uh, hyper Twitterized people. Um, uh, but but then the the other part of it is is probably to say that like the 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 uh, critic landscape of of the internet has has actually changed. The ability to develop comedy, um, because because you know your first thought joke is now all of a sudden your last thought joke, whereas like you know you know I, I can only imagine how many drafts of something you go through Neil before anyone ever reads it, mm. and you know and similarly like if I'm writing a script or a screenplay like you know that's same thing like I, I you know I try to hold on to it as long as possible before before other people consume it but you're talking about like comedy or live comedy um it's uh you know part of the part of the creation process is 
the feedback of an audience. I mean, you, you can't really make a good stand-up set. You can't really develop like live material without the live aspect. And so, and same thing, unfortunately for, for Twitter and anything you put up on the internet, which is sort of the, it, obviously it's, it's removed the gatekeepers in a lot of ways and that's wonderful, but, but the gatekeepers did help develop something until it was like really actually worth saying as opposed to just sort of the first thing out. And so I do think there's been a conflation of like, of, of content that is, you know, maybe in a different era would have been a throwaway piece of bullshit at an open mic or something, or, you know, a first draft that only like your editor or your friends saw that now is out there for criticism and critique and everyone's a critic. Uh, so, you know, and the critics are very harsh on Twitter. So it, it, that part, that part of the culture has shifted and changed in a way that is, um, is, is bad, frankly, in my opinion, as a creator. Um, but it, it does just mean that, you know, there's a different onus on creators now to, to do the more of the hard work in private. But without, you know, you do need a safe space sometimes to be able to like work through hard, big ideas, hard ideas. You know, you, you do want to be able to figure out where the line is. Like, am I saying something edgy, but important, or am I just saying something edgy for edgy's sake? And it's hard to know exactly where that is or, you know, and you need to test that out. Yeah. Dan, are you saying that the Twitter, your Twitter follow Steve 89472422 is uh, really bothering you? I mean, he seems like a real <laughs> human, good human being, right? Steve is a great guy and he's never <laughs> bragging me. Uh, Dio, what about you? Um, yeah, I mean, I think I'm less critical of people, as Dan was saying, like w when you're doing stand-up comedy, like sometimes people just... I'm someone who half the times I don't even know what, what's coming out of my mouth <laughs> or what's going in. But um, so I, <laughs> I often say the wrong thing all the time, but like when it comes to like television shows or like Dan was saying, when, when you write something, it's multiple drafts. There's many people, especially in TV, there's executives, there's all these people looking at. So then when I see something like actually, the other day I was watching like an old episode of Sex in the City which was a show that I really liked. And there was this episode where Samantha dates a black man and I was cringing throughout the whole episode. Cause I was like, this is so problematic. <laughs> and I'm just like, wow, like the fact that this actually made it on air. And then I was like, oh, but I bet there probably weren't any black people in the writer's room, you know? And so part of it is also just inclusivity and incorporating different people in a writer's room if, if you are like I have this problem now I feel like um, as somebody who's trying to develop material I feel like there's this expectation that I should write about Indian people and that I should like have something to say about my culture and all of that all the time and it's not really something I want to do all the time you know I was raised watching white people on TV and black people on TV like I don't want to just write Indian characters um I don't know where that came from. I feel like I just went on a tangent, but <laughs> yeah, I think it's fair. I mean, yeah. I think also, I mean, uh, the other thing to like uh, is really important to say about comedy specifically is that like I, going back to my previous point, I guess, of like of comedy tastes change, they grow uh, and and they age. And so uh, like I just recently I was like, I want to watch an old classic movie and I just watched uh, so I was like, oh, what's, what are some of the funniest movies of all time? I like old movies. And, uh, and I, and I put on some like it hot, which I'd never seen. 
um, which is like supposed to be the greatest comedy of all time. And I turn it on and I'm like, this is a terrible movie. It's not funny. It's offensive. It's gross. And it's, and it's just like, it's, it's awful. And so like, um, and I, and it just like really re reinforced the thing that I've always felt, which is like comedy is inherently something that like is really only funny, like in, in a brief window of time and culture um, that it exists in. And it's very, very, very hard to find comedy that doesn't age out of that window. Mm -hmm. Like there's so few things that are genuinely funny forever. Um, and, and, and so it, I do think it's, I do think it's uh, unfortunate uh, that we're we are in a place where where people's where again like comedy you made someone made in the nineties is is there's there is almost no way for it to uh, accord to the values of of this moment. It's it's almost impossible. Um, I'd be I I think you'd be shocked to like see like going back to how many of your favorite comedies from any era are either are offensive or and maybe less than offensive just not funny anymore um and that and that's that's the bottom line is that like it's not it's not it's not meant to live forever in that way um unfortunately i've devoted my life to it and wow what a mistake um because Except it's boy. Tommy Boy can't you can't improve on <laughs> yeah, Tommy Boy. Yeah, Tommy Boy is good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, and, and but look, and it's funny because I had the I I mean, very getting very specific. Like I I I just recently went back and I watched um, um, Naked Gun, um, and I got to tell you that movie is fucking amazing. Still, it's hilarious. Yeah. It's so good. At, but like, and I mean it because I go back and I watch a lot of old comedies, and and because either for work or as research or something. And it's very rare when something is genuinely still like laugh out loud funny. Like there's there's old comedies where you're like, I like that. That was nice. That was good. That was humorous. I call them smilers when you're like, eh. and like, <laughs> and that's the most you can normally get from from an old comedy is like a, eh. and and this is, uh, but that one man really held up. But one of the reasons I think it really held up was because even when it was made in I think eighty nine or ninety. Um, it was, uh, it was, a, it was not meant to be for that time period. It was like a spoof of a genre piece from the, from whatever, like a detective show from like the fifties or sixties. And so even at the time, it wasn't a, a timely piece. It was meant to be a throwback piece. And so it remains a throwback piece in a, in an amazing way. Um, anyway, a, a, as a, as a weird little observation of a specific movie that still works. Um, but like, you know. I mean, Mel Brooks is a great example, like who, again, like I, I'm in love with, I'm obsessed with, um, I, I on the, a couple occasions I've gotten to meet him. I've cried at during and afterwards, like it's, it's a big deal, but like, you know, man, could you not make blazing saddles today? <laughs> man, could you not make blazing saddles today? And that, and I, and the movie is amazing and important, but also like, you know, there are a lot of things in there. You're just like, I'm not going to fucking do that or say that. And, and nor do I want to, like, I don't think that it's, um, I don't think that it's a, a somehow a PC weakness to not want to make fun of like the, the, you know, developmentally disabled or, or like people of different races. Like it, it's not, it's, you know, it's not, it's not being, it's not self-censoring. It, it's just sort of earnest growth and, and like, and change in education. 
So, you know, but I'm happy the movie exists. I want it to exist. And, and it's on a continuum of comedy and conversation that had to happen. Like, you know, without Blazing Saddles, you don't get all sorts of other movies um, that are amazing, but leading all the way up to today. And so, you know, but it, but it, it doesn't mean that it has to be perfect forever. But I also think importantly, it doesn't mean that we have to be mad at it for not being perfect. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Actually, for in full disclosure, I have a uh, when I met Mel, he signed Blazing Saddles DVD, which is one of my favorite movies. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. In twenty twenty, you not only shouldn't you make you can't make that humor, you shouldn't make that humor. But there, it is a, it's a continuum, and if we don't learn, if we just erase it, right. then we don't have the history to understand, and we'd be wiping away such an important piece of the time. And it wasn't just, it was bad for a lot of people, but that was where comedy and society was for better or for worse. Um, and we evolve because we learn. So that's what the last question is. What do we have to learn from humor and how can humor sort of, I would say be an antidote to some of um, what's going on in the world of, of sort of this tension that I think everyone's feeling. Uh, maybe not in California because, you know, weed has been legal for a really long time, but <laughs> for everyone else, um, you know, it, how, you know, can, what can we really learn from the comedy world? And, and maybe, maybe humor is our teacher now, not just our, our, our release. Neil, you want to start? Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of something like that makes sense. <laughs> um, <laughs> what can we learn from? humor i mean i think humor is kind of the great equalizer right like i mean unless you don't have a sense of humor in which case i don't want to know you and you don't matter um like i think it's if you can it's the best way sometimes to convey an idea that is uncomfortable as long as you're not offending anyone because everybody kind of appreciates humor everyone wants to laugh and so oftentimes you can take something that's uncomfortable or people don't want to talk about and make light of it and then people will actually listen to you. And I think right now we live in a time where we're more divided than we ever were, you know? Um, and I feel like a lot of people are just talking at each other. But um, I think if used correctly and appropriately, um, humor is the greatest vehicle to convey ideas to people. So. I, um, I, I maybe used to believe that, but the last four years have completely shattered my, oh, really? my belief in exactly that, which is like, I, I, first of all, Donald, Donald Trump on a daily basis wrote better onion headlines than the onion. Right. <laughs> and, yeah. and so, so it, 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 and the, and the division uh, between our points of view became so vast that it seems, it does seem to me very hard to even have a shared set of facts to uh, joke off of. And again, I'm not, and I don't, I don't, and I don't want this to be how I feel, but, but it is how I've grown to feel. And, and I, so I don't know the answer to this. It, it, it sort of is a negation of your question, Jeremy, which is like, how does comedy help the world? I don't know, man. I don't know how it helps the world. I'm not sure it does. I think it might just make us feel better, but like, but, but for a very few amount of people, like it, it, it might be a retreat into our own little tribes, which is, you know, it, it maybe is where the world is heading. But like, like, I, you know, Kevin James has a new NASCAR show. I'm like, I don't fucking want to watch that. 
Um, (laughs) You're you're not missing much. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, like, is that, that's clearly not for me and that's okay. That's okay. Like, I mean, Netflix, Netflix is, if anything, uh, a distillation of the fact that like, yeah, everybody's got very different tastes and nobody needs to watch the same thing as anybody else. Like, you know, there's a, there's a bifurcation of culture that is happening. That's really pretty intense. And, and I don't, and I do think it's, I mean, I think it's sad and probably going to lead to the demise of our country. Um, but, but I think it's, a, but I don't know if there's a good answer to it. Like I, it, the answers would seemingly be like to make cable and Netflix illegal and we can only have like the big four channels and have to all watch the same sitcoms again. Maybe that would fix everything if we all had the Cosby show one more time. Not the Cosby show, but something else. Oh no, the Cosby show. <laughs> You know, did something uh, happen with him? Yeah, it's it's new news. Um, I you know everyone's going to come back to synagogues and churches, and I'm going to be the uh, you know it's going to work out for me. I think comedy uh, rabbi, baby. You know, I you know the, one of the best things I watched during this year of lockdown uh, was David Letterman's interview with Dave Chappelle, uh, which was masterful. Uh, by the way, I, I wasn't a huge fan of uh, Letterman. I think Dan, you worked on Letterman. Show, I right? did work at Letterman. It was yeah. my first, one of my first jobs out of college. Yeah. Was, as uh, worked as a. So creator. I wasn't a huge fan of his show, but his show on Netflix, I I love. Mm-hmm. He and is he, a great interviewer. He's just yeah. he hates everything else. <laughs> yeah. So so you know he said after some of the war, Bob Dylan's music really was so important, and Bob Dylan's voice was so important, actually. You know, for someone like me who like can't really listen to Bob Dylan today, where you know other people just love him, like I, I, I just can't. Um, he he believes yeah. Dave Letterman and said this to Dave that Dave Chappelle is that answer, and I didn't disagree with him. Like Dave Chappelle's comedy is so important to me right now to listen. I mean, this is my own personal opinion, but like comedy plays a massive role in bringing us back. To, I do. I, I think so. Bringing us back together whether it's writing shows or sort of the lightheartedness that you bring to whatever it is, politics, religion, man, I would love some of these politicians to just smile, just yeah. smile. Like that's all I need from you yeah. right now. I don't need you to fight with anyone else. That's why I'm I- a big, I'm a big fan of memes. I think memes are like, <laughs> I just love You're a good right. meme. You're not wrong. They're so accurate. Like sometimes I'm like, who is coming up with this? Like this, the day to day, like, minuscule things that we're thinking about and it'll be on a meme. I'm like, oh my God, I'm not the only person who thinks this. Um, and they seem to be very like, they're not too problematic. I think they're pretty, I think anyone can laugh at a meme. So you're right about that. <laughs> Maybe but we should all but, just be writing memes. <laughs> uh, you might be right. I mean, they're, 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 they nail it. They're very funny, but they're also yeah. like abstracted to the point of meaninglessness. And so that's why everyone likes them. Cause you're just like, you can project onto any meme like your own personal issue. Um, I feel like the I feel like the um, the the meme of Donald of of the wrestler, you know the one the meme that Donald Trump made where he put himself on a wrestler and he was like body slamming someone. Jeremy, you know what I'm talking about. Well, he uh, admit he was in the WWE. He was at a wrestle right, and there there he's yeah you know obviously yeah. he wasn't gonna lose because he's <laughs> yes. He's the, the, he still hasn't lost, right? So he's undefeated. <laughs> Donald Trump, yeah, undefeated. in his head, <laughs> undefeated in the WWF, undefeated in the American electoral system. Um, yeah, he, uh, anyway, it just like that's that. Uh, I feel like I've seen that wrestling meme of like a of a 
of a flying elbow from the top rope with like a different face photoshopped onto onto the person getting elbowed in a dozen different forms because it's just it's it works it's just a format i mean it, i think it's interesting i mean the memes are definitely i think it's more of a format than it is a uh an an art in its like it, it's just it's like a sitcom or a or a, or anything else it, it the, it's it has no message unto itself yeah. I want to thank you both for being here. I appreciate your time, and uh, yeah. we'll catch up soon, okay? Okay. All right. Bye, guys. Nice okay. to meet you. Bye. Nice meeting you. I would say my natural tendency is to deflect with humor. When I'm uncomfortable, when I meet someone new, sometimes that humor lands and oftentimes it doesn't. Comedy today is, is seeing a little bit of a renaissance. I think Dan spoke about that as how do we both be clean and PC at the same time as being funny, not just cheap jokes. And it's hard when you're standing up there as a stand-up com- comedian to do that or writing a book or a movie or a TV show or even a sermon. How do we use humor to engage? How do we use humor to unite and bring together? I can't think of a better medicine for the world right now than a good laugh. Sharing over a meal, some happy stories, getting to know different people's cultures and what, what, is sensitive, what people are sensitive to and what people kind of want to laugh about. I know as being someone who is outwardly Jewish with my kippah and obviously my job, Jewish humor is something sometimes I think is hilarious, and other times I think it doesn't land. We have to talk about those things. How can we bring more people into our culture and our ideas with a good laugh and a smile? I want to thank my guests. It was so great catching up with my college roommate, Neil Patel, who has become such an accomplished author, and my good friend, Dan Greger, from our incredible summer together in Israel. I want to thank Todd Kessler, as usual, for his music. This was the Religion of Human Nature podcast, season five. And I'm your host, Rabbi Jeremy Fine. Mm -hmm.